And now, from the gleaming spires of Chicago, broadcasting to Niflheim, Svartalfheim, Olympus, throughout the nine worlds and beyond, the only Thor podcast hosted by a true descendant of Odin. You are tuned to the immortal sounds of... Radio Free Asgard. And hello everybody and welcome to Radio Free Asgard. This is episode number 268. Coming at you, as always, from beautiful Chicago, Illinois. As always, we're a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network, though I often forget to mention that. Anyhow, so here we are, and uh, we're shifting gears a little bit this week. More Thor movie spoilers out this week. I'm amazed that there's actually anything left to spoil, but apparently... uh, yeah, uh, Thor's helmet will be appearing in the movie, and that's, that's something we certainly haven't seen very much since uh, the Thor movies started. I think we just had a little glimpse of it in the first one, and really didn't hasn't really worn it since. Um, yeah, and it's going to be interesting how it looks on him with the short haircut that he has now, but anyway, okay. Um, so yeah, so Thor movie spoilers coming out, uh, you know, and... Hopefully the movie will be good. That's all I can say. You know, I'm I just um, I'm just kind of gonna not say anything now and <laughs> let other people speculate on it. But uh, yeah, well, yeah, of course I'm looking forward to it. Of course. Um, so uh, we are gonna actually kind of shift gears a little bit this week. We just covered the most of the Sif run in, in Journey to Mystery. There's only a few issues left, and we're gonna come back to that at some point. But we're going to go off and kind of veer off in a wildly different direction for about three weeks here. And we're going to cover the first few issues of a series that I know I've mentioned before on the show, but really hadn't made a real effort to you know, become familiar with and all that stuff. It does mark one of the early Walt Simonson efforts on a mythological character, although he's not in these first few issues. And I'm talking, of course, of the DC series, Hercules Unbound, from the mid-70s. So we're going to be covering the first issue of that right after the uh, Hercules music. Hercules, hero of song and story. Hercules, winner of ancient glory, fighting for the right. Fighting with his might, with the strength of ten ordinary men. Hercules, people are safe when near him. Hercules, only the evil fear him. Softness in his eyes, iron in his thighs, virtue in his heart, fire in every part of the mighty And as promised, we are covering Hercules Unbound, number one. Now, this book came out in July of 1975. And what's interesting about this time is that this was right at the time, the very month, really, kind of starting the month before that and going into the next few months beyond, where I was buying my first issues of a lot of comics. This was really a time when, you know, I had already been collecting comics more casually for a while, but this summer was the summer that my family moved to Florida, and I had, you know, some some money in my pocket, and, you know, didn't really have any friends to spend time with because we just moved, and so... I really did read a lot of comics and start collecting in a serious way during the summer. So this this issue came out just kind of right at the very beginning of my comic collecting career, even though, like I said, there have been a few comics that I've been buying for about six months before that uh, when I could. So, so it is a time with a lot of, um, I guess you could say, uh, nostalgia for me as a collector. And of course, we're going to look at the other comics that came out this month, uh, you know, while we're doing this series, because, you know, like I said, there's a lot of, of my first issues. This particular comic, this Hercules Unbound comic, is one of DC's fantasy line. And this was a brand new thing at the time. This started only a couple months before this book came out. And there were, the basically, it was uh, the, they had the um, first issue special featuring the Warlord that came out. 
And then they had Claw the Unconquered number one. They had Stalker number one. They had, um, there was another fantasy book that I'm forgetting. And then, of course, Hercules Unbound. Hercules Unbound is, is one of the interesting ones in that it actually was supposed to be part of the same continuity as Commandy, The Last Boy on Earth, which at this point in time, I believe was still being published. Uh, and it was being and drawn uh, by Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby uh, left Mar or left DC, kind of right about this time to go back to Marvel. This was one of his last couple of months, and we'll be looking at some of the books um, here. So uh, other books that came out this month, uh, I'm just gonna gonna looking at um, Mike's Amazing World, which is always a great resource for these things. You can see uh, Planet of the Apes number one. This is this was the. Uh, the Marvel color comic of Planet of the Apes. There were 20 different Archie books. I think that that's pretty much the, the height of, of of what we've seen in, in, on this show. And, of course, this was the summer. And, and so Archie books tended, I think they tend to have more issues coming out during the summer when, when the kids are off school. Um, we had Astonishing Tales number 32, which was my first issue of that. Uh, that was the Deathlock, the Demolisher series. We have... Um, of course, your your tie-ins, your Charlton tie-ins, like, uh, Barney and Betty Rubble, number 16 from Charlton, Bugs Bunny, number 166 from Gold Key. Um, oh, Beowulf is the other fantasy series. I was trying to remember the DC version of that. Beowulf, number four, came out. I believe that was drawn by Joe Kubert. Uh, we have the uh, Captain America, number 190, which I think was one of the last issues before Jack Kirby came back to the book. Champions, number one. I picked that up on the stands as my first issue of that book. Daredevil, number 126. I think that was my first issue of that book. I didn't continue, though, to pick up uh, Daredevil, so that was one um, that, I, that I never really got grabbed by. Uh, Journey into Fear, number 30, or Adventures into Fear, starring Morbius, Loving Vampire. That was definitely my first issue of that. Um, Doctor Strange, number 10. I think that was my first issue of that book. Might have been, my first issue might have been number 9, but number 10 I definitely remember picking up off the stands. Uh, we have Giant Size Hulk, Giant Size Iron Man, Giant Size Power Man. Like, I've always talked about how those giant size issues really grabbed me. They were all reprints, and they they just really grabbed me into the Marvel Universe. They were 50 cents, but you got a lot for your 50 cents in those books. I think they each I think they each reprinted three issues of a comic. And and so you'd get uh, two full issues or three full issues and uh, if you'd only had two issues, it would usually have some other features. It would have some like, like backup, like Tales of Asgard, that kind of thing. This book, of course, Hercules Unbound, which I didn't buy at the time. I think that there was just kind of a limit to my allowance. So I you know, couldn't pick up every book that I saw. Uh, Inhumans, number one, another book I picked up. Invaders, number two. Don't think I started buying Invaders till issue five or so, but uh, that was definitely out. Justice League 123, that's definitely one I remember picking up. Yeah, we have a, a Commandy Last Boy on Earth, number 34. Uh, doesn't look like it was a Kirby issue, but interestingly enough, uh, the cover is not by Kirby anyway. The, I'm sure the interior certainly was. Uh, we got the first of the, the big uh, limited collector's edition tabloids. So we have... We have the uh, you know, DC uh, C-38, the Superman, and we got the Secret Origins of Supervillains one. Uh, of course, we have um, all sorts of, um, a lot of horror books coming out from, you know, Marvel Chillers was doing more Dread the Mystic. That was after uh, they, they'd, uh, I think uh, Tigra was a headliner of that book, and then they, they ended up doing Modra the Mystic, which was a really interesting concept that ne they never really did anything really good with. Uh, we have Marvel Premiere number 25, which I believe was the last Iron Fist issue of Marvel Premiere because he got his own book right at that point. Marvel Presents Bloodstone, uh, which is Marvel Pre Presents number one. That was my first issue of that book as well. Uh, we have the um, Son of Satan uh, issue of Marvel Spotlight 24. I believe that was his... Uh, uh, he had his own book really shortly thereafter, and I think that was about where that started. Marvel's Greatest Comics, number 59, reprinted the Psycho Man story. I owned that. He, Marvel was still doing their uh, their Western uh, <laughs> series then, and the Mighty Marvel Western was their reprint book, and I, I don't remember ever picking that up, but that was out. 
But yeah, a lot of interesting stuff. Um, this, of course, was the height of the Kung Fu craze. So we have Dudley Hands of Kung Fu. We had the Dudley Hands of Kung Fu Annual. We have Richard Dragon, Kung Fu Fighter from DC. Even uh, Kirby did, did an issue of that back, back in the day. Uh, about 10 million different Richie Rich comics came out that month. <laughs> um, the I think that this was the last issue, but it was uh, the Sandman, the, the Kirby version of Sandman that DC published. I believe that that issue or the next was his last, very last work for DC. Uh, Skull the Slayer number two, which is Mar- Marvel's uh, version of of... Basically, it was Claude the Unconquered, but it was a slightly different, you know, in the, in the Marvel version. And the Skull the Slayer series actually presented some of the very early work at Marvel by George Perez, who, who actually very shortly thereafter uh, moved over to Fantastic Four. Uh, Stalker number three, uh, Star Trek was still being published then by uh, Gold Key Comics. Those were pretty universally bad. Uh, Super Team Family number one. I beat the hell out of that copy. I still have it, um, but I, I still have it. Super Villain Team Up number two, which I believe is my first issue of that book. Uh, Superboy and the Legion 212. I had actually been collecting Superboy and the Legion since about Superboy 194. So that was, it's not new for me, but that was the issue where the uh, super powered replacements came. They tried to take. Uh, Saturn Girl and Cosmic Boy and and Shrinking Violet's job. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's one of those classic uh, Legion issues that it was silly, but yeah, it was fun. Um, we had Tomb of Dracula thirty seven, which was not my first issue. I think my first issue was thirty eight. Uh, we have uh, yeah, Valley of the Dinosaurs number four. What a lame comic. It was based on a uh, Saturday morning cartoon, so it was uh, not not one of the better books out there. Um, we've got uh, Warlock, number nine. My, my first issue was number 11. So, yeah, that was a little bit before my time on there. X-Men, number 95. This was my first issue of the book. And uh, th- this was the issue after you know, they, they rebooted the series. And I had to go back and get the 94 a few years later and was just horrified I had to pay five bucks for it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a little bit of, uh, you know, perspective here for you okay so uh, that was kind of what was on the stands about the time that this issue of uh, hercules unbound came out so let's go ahead and look at the issue uh the issue uh had a cover date of october november 1975 it had a uh, cover art by jose luis garcia lopez though i'll be honest i I'll, i would swear this has Ernie Chan inks, though uh, Mike's Amazing World does not actually say anything about the inker. So th- we're led to believe that this is just you know, Garcia Lopez himself. And I don't know. I'm not convinced. I-, I think this is Ernie Chan inks. And it shows Hercules, and he is breaking a large stone in half, basically, and shattering the chains that, that are holding him, hence the Unbound. The first sensational issue retailed for 25 cents. And yeah, uh, we open up to the splash page where we have the credits. Jerry Conway was the writer. Jose Luis Garcia Lopez and Wally Wood were the artists. I believe that uh, Garcia Lopez was doing layouts and Wally Wood was doing finishes. And because they don't actually mention a letterer or colorist, I believe that Wood was doing that as well. So, yeah, interesting. And the editor, of course, was Mr. Joe Orlando. Hercules Unbound, World War III, plus four weeks. On a small island in the Mediterranean, hundreds of miles from the mainland, a thousand years from its place in time, a brawny man cries out in triumph, his shout mingling with the sound of shattering metal and the grumble of breaking stone. And we have... Uh, Hercules, and Hercules is portrayed uh, rather differently than he was at Marvel during the same period. This Hercules is a little bit leaner, a little bit younger looking. He's not really doing the Steve Reeves thing that that, uh, Marvel was doing with the bearded Hercules. He is clean shaven. He wears a headband. Uh, He's got um, metal gauntlets. He's wearing a a skirt, um, sort of the Greek looking skirt with the leather things that hang around it to keep the skirt from flying up and everybody seeing his dingle dongle. And we get a little bit of um, rumbling, grumbling from the rocks. And he says, the shout echoes across the water and is lost in the roaring surf. 
But only for the moment, dear reader, only for the moment. And Hercules is crying out, Gods of Olympus, I'm free! Free! And I, I like the, um, the sound effect here, sprang, or strang, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the chain's breaking. On the next page, we have another interesting sound effect, grang, uh, which is also him pulling the chains off. It says, grunting only slightly, the large brawny man jerks his remaining hand, and chain on that wrist crumbles like rusted iron. This time, the sound isn't as loud as before, yet it cuts the salty air, slicing it with neat precision. And uh, we see now that he is on some sort of an island, and he's surrounded by the ocean. So, yeah, that's why the salt air. By the stars above, I must be mad. Either that, or Ares is dead. The god of war would never release his spell on me if he were still alive. So what other reason is there? Ares must be dead. But if he isn't, then by Hades he soon will be... And Hercules steps away, and he's, it is really a very, very small miniskirt. <laughs> yeah, knowing knowing the comics code, we're not actually going to see up his skirt, but yeah, I mean, he must be wearing shorts under that. The tall man steps away from the falling dust and stone, his gray eyes searching the horizon, his mouth drawn taut in a grim, humorless smile. Somewhere Ares is waiting for me, yet if he lives, he's set me free for a reason. Though what the reason might be, only Pluto knows. One thing certain, the god of war despises me, so whatever his motive is for releasing me, it can't be good. And there's a, so a sound, yeah, and Hercules saying, hey, that sound. And it turns out to be a boat. Now, given the fact that this series is supposed to be in the future, I don't know how far in the future, but it doesn't take place in the present day. This is post-World War III, so the great disaster is happening or just happened or is just about to happen, and the people in the series generally look almost exactly like they would as if they lived in the, in the mid-1970s. So we actually have a, a sailboat looking very much like a, a you know, sailboat that you would see, and there's a young guy, I don't know if he's a teenager, and he's got a, a dog, um, like a German Shepherd dog with him. And the boat is being attacked by a octopus with a beastly face, like a, a, a sea ape monkey face with big fangs on it. So some sort of monster. And Hercules is r rushing down to where this boat is, and he says, or he's, he's thinking, there's someone on the shore, fighting demons Ares conjured to protect his island prison. Zeus, he's only a boy. So he's talking about the uh, guy in the boat. Don't let them grab you, Basil. They're like octopi, a bunch of squirming tentacles. Keep down, boy, keep down. And the, the dog is biting the tentacles, and the boy has an oar, and he's you know, kind of swinging at these monsters with the, with the oar and smashing them. And uh, Hercules dives into the water, and he's saying, I've seen bravery in my time, but that lad has the courage of a Spartan. I can't let him fight those beasts alone. And um, the boy notices the splash after Hercules dives in the water with a splash. And he says, huh? Someone dove into the water behind us, Basil. We can't fight on both sides of the ship at once. And Hercules comes up out of the water, and it turns out there's more than one of these these octopus things. And Hercules has grabbed the octopus thing around its quote-unquote neck. As an octopus, doesn't really have a neck anyway. <laughs> so he's saying, you won't need to, lad. I'm a friend, not an enemy. These creatures are here because of me, which makes them my responsibility. If you'll excuse me, I'll deal with them. And the octopus monkey creatures are going, squawk, squawk. And um, he's, <laughs> I, I don't understand this, but he... Hercules dispatches the octopus by drowning it. Okay. Um, I'm going to just ignore that part. We'll see if there's any other things that I just kind of have to ignore. So anyway, um, so Hercules takes the octopus and he strangles it or, yeah, he drowns it. And we hear, anyway. So I don't know if these things need to breathe there or what, but anyway. 
So Hercules uh, defeats the monsters, and he comes up onto the boat, and we see the the dog is gurring at him. It's like, Grr. and he, um, and the boy is like, "Did you drown them?" <laughs> so I guess the boy can't believe it either. Demons hate water, lad. Always remember that. You might find the information useful someday. I'm guessing because this is a Jerry Conway script, we are going to find that out in a future issue. By the by, lad, does this animal of yours bite? And the kid's like, don't tell me you're afraid of a dog. Not after the way you handled those those things out there. I'm not worried about me, boy. I'm worried about him. My skin's a little thick, you see, and tough on a canine's teeth. And it looks like the dog's actually okay, and he likes Hercules because he's doing a sort of playful pose here. Well, you won't have a problem with Basil. He likes just about everybody. Basil, eh? Odd name for a pet. I named him after Basil Rathbone, the guy who played Sherlock Holmes in all those movies. Sherlock Holmes, says Hercules, because he has no idea who that is. Come on, I know this place is out of the way, but you've got to have heard of Holmes. You might say I've been out of touch, lad. Who? Hold. Your eyes. Great Zeus. You are blind. So, yeah, despite the fact that he knew what those octopus things were without actually being able to see them, and they didn't actually touch him, so, okay, I'll just kind of forget that i'm like i forgot them drowning the octopus <laughs> anyway i'd never have guessed if you hadn't told me says the kid does it surprise you of course i'm surprised and impressed you sail the sloop alone lad just you and the dog i do now and my name's kevin not lad the way you talk i guess you don't know what's been happening these past few weeks since the war began out here on this island you've been isolated you haven't seen what i've seen quote unquote you haven't seen the war i was in athens when it began almost a month ago jason he's my brother was touring the middle east in the family sloop and i was with him jason and my father are were in foreign service my father's the u.s ambassador to the vatican Ever since my mother died, we've all been pretty close. And we see a, a scene here of, of Jason and Kevin and the dog, and they're walking through Athens. And it, it actually does look like Athens. I've been to Athens, so I know what it looks like. And it does actually resemble Athens, which is, is pretty good. It's better than you're going to see in most comics. Uh, and, of course, in the background, you have the Parthenon and the Acropolis. So, yeah, so you know it's Athens that way. Kind of like the same way that you know you're in Paris when you see the Eiffel Tower and the Arc de Triomphe outside the window. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, so they're, uh, they're walking through the streets of Athens, and all of a sudden there's a, an air raid siren thing going on. Oh, and it looks like they're holding hands, which is very sweet. I, I think I don't think that's normal even for the 70s for brothers to walk around holding hands, even if one of them's blind. Anyway, especially when he's talking about how close they are. <laughs> anyway, um, so Kevin says, Air raid sirens? Must be some sort of practice alert. No, listen to it, Jace. It's getting louder, starting to go into the higher sonics. Jason, I've got a feeling that thing's for real. And Jason starts to uh, go running off, and he's like, I have a feeling you're right. Come on, kid. We better find some shelter fast. And they go running towards a uh, shelter. But, uh, yeah, anyway, it, it's a little bit too late. The uh, atom bomb goes off, and Athens is obliterated, and Jason gets disintegrated in the uh, atomic blast. So... It says, we followed the crowd to the nearest bomb-proof shelter, and Jason shoved me ahead of him. I remember thinking it was all a dream, that the only reality was Jason's hand on my shoulder. But suddenly the sky exploded, and Jason, Jason was gone. Now, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ignore this, <laughs> but Jason is literally about two feet behind the dog and Kevin, and they are completely unharmed by this nuclear explosion. So I'm going to ignore it. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so uh, they show the uh, everybody underground. There's crowds underground and you know, men, women, children, and, of course, Kevin and his dog. And it says here, 
We spent two weeks underground, the length of time recommended by the pamphlets we found stacked in the shelter. Two weeks, long enough for the radiation to drop to a level at which human life could survive. Two weeks, fourteen days of nightmare. When we came out, it was into a world stinking of death and destruction. Basil whimpered at my side and nuzzled my hand, but what could I tell him? That everything would soon be all right? I didn't even believe that myself. With the others, I wandered into the harsh sunlight, feeling its warmth on my face. And then hearing the scavengers. And so they're being attacked by these sort of zombie-looking people that look like they were caught in the... um, uh, in the in the blast, but they're being really aggressive and trying to kill everybody. They came at us from all sides, men and women who'd been outside for the past weeks, exposed to the fallout. Their bodies were covered with sores and blisters. They looked like lepers, but they weren't weak, and they were hungry. So apparently being caught in a nuclear explosion makes you super strong and fast and really, really hungry for human flesh. So, yeah, just remember that, kids. We've got to get away, says somebody. And so it says, I ran, following the sound of Basil's yapping. I could hear the scavengers at my back, panting, their lungs rasping for air. Basil led me through the city to the docks. I could tell where we were by the ocean smell and the sound of waves lapping wood. Behind me, the scavengers were driving closer, and they almost caught us before we set sail. I'd help Jason with the actual sailing. You don't have to see to trim a sail but you do have to see in order to navigate. We'd escaped the scavengers, but I was sure we were doomed anyway. All I could do was follow the wind. So it shows the, uh, yeah, they push off just in time and the the zombie people can't get to them and they go sailing off. And interestingly enough, despite the fact that there was just a nuclear explosion in the near vicinity, we have a bunch of seagulls flying around the harbor. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, so... And the wind led us here, to this island. I almost crashed on these rocks, and then those creatures attacked. How does he know the rocks are there? Because he can't see them, and he didn't crash on them. So, okay. And you saved me. I just realized I still don't know your name. Neither does your dog, says Hercules, but he trusts me. Do you, Kevin? Trust you? Well, you did rescue me, and Basil does seem to like you. I suppose I do trust you with that. Then I'll tell you my name, Kevin. Trust me, for what I tell you is true. And it says, suddenly there is a thunder in the air, a crackle of energy and a sudden burst of lightning across the mountain crags. The brawny man's next words seem to echo and reverberate across the rocky shore, louder now than the surf, more powerful than the storm above. I am Hercules, Kevin, son of Zeus, god of Olympus. I am Hercules, sworn enemy of the god of war. And also, if you will it, your friend. Far freaking out, says Kevin. So we then have a Hostess Twinkie ad, which we might talk about later. And we get back into the story. I thought there was something strange about you, the way you spoke, and those... those things? Which, of course, he couldn't see because he's blind. After what's happened these past few weeks, I'm ready to believe anything. Good. Then we should get started, Kevin. You must rejoin your father in this place, the Vatican. And I must find Ares to stop this madness once and for all. First, we need to free your sloop from the rocks holding it. A task easily done when done by Hercules. And he does. He just kind of pushes the rocks out of the way. And the boat goes sailing free. Now let us sail, shipmaster Kevin. And as we sail, I'll tell you a story of Hercules, protector of man, and his immortal enemy, the god of war. And we then shift scenes to another place, and it looks like, uh, it says in the caption, it's a hill over a thousand miles distant, and we have an armored figure uh, standing on top of this hill, and there's a black horse with him, and it looks like this guy's all dressed up in sort of Greek armor, Greek-ish armor, I should say, it really doesn't look like Greek armor. It's just kind of fantasy armor. Anyway, at this time, we'll take our leave of Hercules and his newfound friend and shift our attention to another cast member standing on a hill over a thousand miles distant, a god of Olympus, Ares. Like Hercules, this god is a tall, brawny man. Yet unlike the son of Zeus, Ares is cold and his eyes are hard. 
and as he watches the battle in the streets of what was once Rome, Ares laughs, and his laugh, too, is cold and hard. And we see, yeah, a bunch of people fighting in the streets, and for some reason they're, they're dressed like Romans and ancient Greeks, because that's what you do when you have a nuclear war, is you dress up in costumes and fight each other in the streets of Rome. But of course, they're even though they're dressed in uh, you know as ancient Romans and Greeks, they have jeeps and stuff. So, yeah, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But then a lot of things in this comic don't. Um, so we have this sort of troglodyte-looking guy, and he comes up to Ares, and we see that Ares is standing in front of a big tent, and there's a couple of snarling dogs, uh, mean-looking dogs behind him. Master, one of your commanders awaits your orders. I told him to stay in your tent. Did I do well, master? You did well, Minos, as well as can be expected. I'll be there shortly. I just want to watch yon battle a little longer. It's been so long since last I set my foot on this world. I want to enjoy it as much as possible. And yeah, he's watching all these people fight in the street. And then he goes into the tent and he takes his helmet off. And we can see he looks just kind of like a regular guy, except he looks mean. He's got a kind of a scowl and he's got the he's got the beard. He actually looks more like Marvel's Hercules than, than Hercules does. And he's but he's got a like this nasty scar across one of his eyes because you know nothing says evil like a big old scar. And uh, there's a soldier type dude in his cabin. Looks like he's wearing a. Uh, a modern military uniform. He looks like he has some um, yeah, modern weapons, guns and hand grenades, and that kind of thing. Well, Commander D'Angelo, says Ares. What? Oh, it's you, sir. Things don't seem to be working out, General. Every move we make seems anticipated by the enemy. We're being slaughtered, sir. It's a massacre. Such is war, Commander. Tell me, why do you suppose this war began? Have you any idea? Oh, uh, why, we were attacked by the enemy, General. Hmm, and who is the enemy, Commander? Uh, the ones who attacked us. And why did they attack you? Because they're the enemy. Exactly. I am pleased you understand the situation. Now, your instructions. I want you to put all your foot soldiers here. And attack with your cavalry here, understood? And he's, he's got like a little 3D map of, of modern Rome. There's like skyscrapers and stuff. <laughs> so it's just stupid. Anyway, um, and he's like, yes, sir. Then go, commander, and follow my orders. And he thinks to himself, to your doom. So he's sitting in the tent alone, and another guy comes in, uh, another soldier. You can tell he's a different soldier because he's dressed differently. Smiling, Ares returns his attention to the table map beside him, with its markings and patterns, and only dimly hears the new voice from the doorway a few minutes later. General, do you have any new orders? Yes, Commander Antonioni, I do. According to my information, Commander D'Angelo intends to redistribute his forces. Come closer, and I'll show you where. So it's clear that... Um, Ares is giving advice to both sides of this conflict, so which is kind of weird because yeah, wouldn't they notice each other going in and out of his tent? Anyway, yeah, it's just one of the many things that I'm ignoring at this point. And we have a shift in scene, and we have Kevin and the dog and Hercules, and they are riding horses, which I don't know where they got them, but they got horses. And they are driving, uh, or they're driving, they're riding through the ruins of, of Rome, I guess, and it says, Night among the ruins. Three days have passed since we last saw our two protagonists. Three days and three nights during which they've crossed a sea and wandered north along the Italian coast. Everywhere there is death and destruction. The remains of a war fought for a reason no one knows, and which has since become irrelevant. You should be glad or your eyes are dark, Kevin. Some sights are best unseen. Yon refugees have suffered much from this war of Ares, and will doubtless suffer more before the game is done. Game? You mean Ares considers this all a game? Aye. Most gods think of men as puppets, pieces to be used and then tossed aside. 
Aries knew I disagreed with this attitude, and that's why he tricked me that night long ago. And we get a, uh, a little recap here of how Hercules got captured. And they're in some sort of a feast hall, and it looks like ancient Greek times, and so all these people around drinking and, yeah, having fun. Some of these guys look a little piratical, and that's, that's obvious why. So anyway, so they're sitting around drinking, and Ares is there, and Hercules is drinking with him, and, and um, Ares says, Drink, Hercules, please drink. A man of your strength must have an equally strong appetite. It's true, Ares, yet for some reason I find my appetite fading. And even though he's, he's drinking, While my thirst grows with every sip of this fine wine. And uh, Ares is whispering to his goons, I think he's ready, my friends. On my command... Take him! And the two attack him, and Hercules is like, What? You dare attack the son of Zeus? Why, you neither of you are strong enough to, to... And he gets all dizzy. He's like, By my soul, my head spins. And he falls down and lands on his head with a prune. And this is the, it was the last I knew for quite some time. When I regained consciousness, I was chained to a cliff on that island. And there I remained until Ares saw fit to free me, for whatever reason he may have. I don't understand, says Kevin. Weren't there ships passing the island? Couldn't someone have seen you, rescued you? Ares placed a spell of invisibility around the island, Kevin. Oh, very convenient. And those who stumbled on the island accidentally, as you did, were disposed of by Ares' guardians. He wanted me out of the way. And for ten times a hundred years he succeeded. But now, eh, gods of Olympus! And there's a bunch of uh, Minotaur-type people, and they're attacking Hercules and Kevin, because, you know, Minotaurs are what happen when you have a nuclear war. <laughs> and Kevin is like, Hercules, what's happening? What's... We're under attack. Some sort of demon horde. Try to find shelter. I'll handle these fiends alone. And uh, it looks like Kevin got knocked off his horse. And uh, for some reason, he has a sling and he puts a rock in it because, you know, blind people swinging things around is really dangerous. And I guess he could hurt somebody, but maybe he hurt one of the monsters. Anyway, so these sort of minotaur looking monsters, they have bull's heads and more or less humanoid bodies. And they've got... I guess, you know, they, they, they kind of are like were bulls, I guess you could say they are. Anyway, so um, Kevin is like, the hell I will. And he's whipping a rock and a sling around. And how does he know what where to throw it? I don't know. I've learned to use my ears like other people use their eyes, Hercules. I can hear the sound of a blow. Duck under it. Yeah, I'm sure you can. And he lets loose a rock and it cracks right into the Minotaur's head. And he goes, yeah, yee. And strike back, aiming for the origin of the sound of my slingshot. Ha! I did it! Yeah. Zeus, boy! Perhaps you're not so helpless after all, says Hercules. Easy, Basil. I hear it. It's coming right for me. Uh, Basil's going grr, grr, and the Minotaurs are attacking Kevin. And Kevin is managing to fight them off, despite the fact that he can't see them. I won't let it get away. These creatures must be constructs of Ares, Kevin. Demons designed to slay, and to be slain in turn. They're beasts of war. Toys for Ares game. And they'll destroy us, unless we destroy them first. And he's throwing the uh, Minotaur guys at each other, and they're you know, bragging into each other with a chrome. Kevin and Hercules, they win. And um, Hercules is thinking to himself, No lad I've ever seen could wield a slingshot as well as he did without seeing. There's something odd about friend Kevin. I'll have to watch him closely and carefully, I think. So they uh, both get on Hercules' horse, and Hercules says, Come aboard, lad. We've a dozen miles to go before we reach this Rome of yours. Let's be riding. And so a couple hours later, they arrive in Rome, and um, <laughs> Hercules uh, says, Kevin, are you certain this road leads to Rome? And and you would expect that Kevin would say all roads lead to Rome, but he doesn't. Absolutely, Hercules. Is anything wrong? No, I suppose I should have expected this. 
But there's nothing but ash here, lad. Ash and the remains of building. I can see this place was beautiful once. It isn't now. And so the uh, dog is running ahead of the, the horse, and he finds a stake laying in the middle of the ground because, you know, that happens in nuclear war. And um, Hercules says, You shouldn't eat, let your dog eat the food in this place, Kevin. It may be poisoned. Don't worry about it. Basil won't eat anything that isn't cooked. He and Hercules like, Hold! There are men ahead, lad. Men fighting. Um, would a, uh, a steak that's been caught in a nuclear explosion be cooked by any chance? I don't know. It might still be dangerous for the dog. And why would it be any safer if it were cooked than not? So, okay, so this is yet another thing I need to ignore in the story. Anyway. <laughs> Gods of Olympus, is there no sanity in this world? This war must end. And so they uh, go on, on Hercules' horse and they're riding towards the... Um, the people who are fighting, and it's a bunch of people. Again, they're they're dressed like ancient Romans or Greeks or something, and they're uh, there's a few people in sort of military uniforms, but mostly they're like dressed as ancient people. It must end, says Hercules, and he uh, jumps off the horse and he picks up this giant piece of concrete, and Hercules throws this giant piece of concrete in between them, and uh, in the captions it says. The ragged remains of the fighting armies don't hear Hercules in rage shout, and even if they had, it's doubtful that at this point any would listen. They've been fighting now for over a month, day in, day out. Their minds are gone. Their bodies are soulless hulks. Yet still, zombie-like, they fight on, until with a mighty heave, Hercules throws them apart. And he throws the big rock down, and everyone goes scattering, like, aye yeah. And Hercules is shouting out, Ares, where are you? I know you're behind this madness. Show yourself or I swear I'll... There, upon that hill. I see you, Ares. You cannot hide behind your fighting slaves tonight. This is the hour of reckoning. Somehow, even though this, this hill is a, kind of a, a ways away, Ares hears him perfectly, and it seems like he's just right there. Anyway, so uh, he, he shouts back, And so we shall have our reckoning, Hercules, but not in the way you think. You've seen my war beasts before, I believe. May I introduce you to my greatest creation, the Smasher. And the Smasher is the Hulk. I mean, he's, he's big and he's a weird color and he's got torn pants and he smashes things. So basically, it's the Hulk. Except he's like this, this really corny magenta color. And he's got brown pants. But other, you know, if he were green, he would be the Hulk. Anyway. And uh, so the Smasher comes and he bashes Hercules with a bomb. Sends Hercules flying. And Kevin is still on the back of the horse, which is kind of running around. And, and Kevin says, Hercules! Hercules, what's happening? And he's in that point, he's being kicked in the gut by this big pink monster. And Hercules says, Ah, oh, caught me unawares. And he gets knocked down and uh, punched by, by this creature over and over again. And Basil's going, Grr. And Kevin is going, Something's wrong, Basil. That, that thing attacking Hercules is too strong for him. We have to do something. Give Hercules a chance to strike back. And so the dog uh, jumps up and grabs the uh, Smasher's arm. And um, and the Hulk, or uh, sorry, the Smasher says, Animal, animal die. And he sends uh, Basil flying. And Kevin can't see this, but he knows what's going on. He says, Basil, no. And uh, we see uh, in the background of all this fighting, Ares is standing up on top of the hill, and there's this kind of glow around him. So he's obviously using his god powers to make all this happen. So, um, yeah. And uh, we, we shift back to Kevin, and he's thinking, I can hear his feet on the rubble, the sound of his breathing. He's getting ready to hit Hercules. I can't let him. And so the, uh, the blind kid uh, manages to uh, slingshot the... Uh, 
the smasher right in the head with a big old rock with a crack. Um, yeah, he's got really good aim for somebody who can't see anything. And considering he's also like 50 feet away or something, it, it's, yeah, pretty incredible that he actually hit him. And anyway, so the, the rock hits him in the head and he goes, Ugh! and Hercules is thinking, eh, I was about to strike, but it seems Kevin has done my job for me. As for Ares, it seems he found the better part of Valor and fled. No matter, we'll meet again, either by his design or mine. And uh, Kevin comes up on the horse and he's like, Hercules, are you all right? All survive, lad. I've survived thrice a thousand years already. The likes of this creature won't stop me, not now. And uh, Kevin's like, Basil? And Hercules like, he lives too, lad. And Basil's right there. He's actually, looks like he's uh, sniffing the, uh, the Smasher's face. Hercules says, oh, he has an odd interest in this monster of Ares. And um, Kevin's like, he seems upset. Why? Oh, no. No. And so it turns out um, that this big pink monster is actually Kevin's father. Interesting how that works. How very much of a coincidence that uh, this big pink thing is, is Kevin's dad. We won't have to look for my father after all, Hercules. I, we found him. He's dead. And somewhere the god of war stands laughing. Laughing! Next issue is on sale during the last week of September. And that is Hercules Unbound number one. So, what do you think about this? Well, before we talk about what I thought about it, let's look at the ads really quick because this is one of those scans where I actually have some ads. So it's always fun to look and see what, what's going on in the, the house ads. And uh, we already know there's a Twinkie ad, so you know I'm going to be talking about that. So let's see. What do we have in this uh, issue? Uh, you can make money fast by selling lifetime metal social security plates and metal door plates. Sells on site, the fastest business to get into, requiring no investment. Everything you need will be sent in the free sales kit. So you can sell these uh, cheap-looking uh, metal plates, and they have, like, American flags and shit on them, so you know that everyone will think that you are super patriotic. Uh, we got the Slim Jim ad here, what to sink your teeth into when you're hungry and you're not a werewolf. So, yep, so that's Slim Jim for you. Captain Collector's Comic Library. Hey kids, did you know a 1960 Fantastic Four is now worth $100? <laughs> Imagine what your comics will be worth in a few years. $100, wow. I've got comics published the same year as this comic came out that are worth $100. Anyway, so uh, yeah, so anyway, it's permanent binders to, um, uh, you know, to bind your comics in. I seem to remember these things being really bad for the comics. It ter tears up the bindings, but... Maybe. Anyway, uh, so it actually um, hold 18 comics, and yeah, it's a permanent binder for comics. Now you can actually get much better ones, I'm sure. We have uh, Shazam, the world's mightiest mortal fights, the Minerva Menace. And this is a Hostess Twinkies ad featuring Aunt Minerva, the leading lady of the underworld. So anyway, uh, yeah, we're not going to cover it, but yeah, uh, you, I'm sure that... Uh, Twinkies ads. If you, if you want Twinkies ads, let me know and I'll cover them, but it's kind of a dumb one. Anyway, um, we have an ad here, house ad for Tarzan family, Superman family, Batman family, and the super team family aforementioned. Um, yeah, remember when DC owned the rights to Tarzan and they published Tarzan and Korak and yeah, and they even, I think they had the John Carter series though john carter was always a kind of a backup in the tarzan comics and not really in um uh in, in his own comic i don't think uh, john carter had his own book before marvel did it uh, just and that was only a couple years after this uh we have the abracadabra magic shop we have a, a vanishing dog illusion rubber hot dog oh that's hilarious explosive matches the mystery house whatever that is X-Ray Specs, yeah, it's the classic. Cigarette Vanisher, uh, cigarettes from everywhere. This is the, the reverse of the Cigarette Vanisher trick, I'm guessing. Flashing Eyes, I'm not sure what that's supposed to be, but you can get it for 50 cents, whatever it is. 
Flash paper. You can buy. I love flash paper. That's that's fun to play with. Um, stink perfume. Yeah, it smells like a dead skunk. Uh, you can get a bottle of it for three bucks. Money maker. Put a blank piece of paper. Turn the knob. Out comes a real dollar bill. Yeah, sure. That's that's for real. Um, we got a, one of these uh, house ads for the uh, tabloids. And DC had just started doing tabloids at this point, too. We had the famous first edition uh, action comics and detective comics in the tabloid size. And they just, I don't think, they didn't, obviously didn't reprint the whole comic because there's always a lot more in those books. They have like 60 pages. And these, these things just had the Superman and Batman stories, basically. Um, and we have the uh, a warning. The supplies are dangerously low on Wiz Comics, presenting the Shazam origin tale and Sensation Comics, featuring Wonder Woman's first starring role. Yeah, I think they were just worried about selling those in <laughs> because uh, you know the, the action comics and detective comics ones were actually probably selling a lot more. <laughs> we can get uh, your uh, Task Force Cannonball, so you can get either. Um, uh, tanks and ships and you can get uh, it says two giant battlefields a total size of three square feet six islands in the Pacific Ocean beautifully colored and a 68 piece task force in gray and green four aircraft carriers, four destroyers four battleships, 16 tanks 24 pillboxes 24 planes, eight landing barges four headquarters and they are um um, made of unbreakable 3D metallic plastic, which is kind of weird. Uh, 375 red markers, enough to record the massive bombings and shellings. Um, okay, yeah. Uh, and then you can also get um, uh, Civil War people. Two forts of the split log type, and you get blue and gray soldiers. Again, you have a uh, three-square-foot plastic battlefield in color depicting Chickamauga, the river of death. And they have exploding bridges actually blow apart right off the river. Um, so cool. Yeah, $1.89, by the way, for either one of these. So, yeah. And you can get both sets for $2.69, so that's pretty good. We have your usual super muscle system, a universal ink. Uh, we have Kung Fu. We teach you what Kung Fu should be. Yeah. Uh, you have uh, $1,000 for a baseball card. If you have it, we'll pay you $1,000. Join the Baseball Card Club of America. 25 live seahorses for $2.98. Um, you get our army insignias, uh, joy buzzers. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the same crap on a different page. The Passaic Comic Catalog. Super Catalog. So yeah, it's a, this is the very beginning of the uh, the comics collector era, and Passaic Book Center was one of the big uh, dealers of back issues of that time. And we have a, a subscription ad there you can subscribe to all the uh, the newest um, DC comics, uh, Kung Fu and Karate. You learn by looking and listening the easy way for less than sixteen cents a lesson. So you can learn Kung Fu and Karate by listening to a record. <laughs> so you can get the long-playing 12-inch 33-and-third RPM instruction record, which contains 35 complete, separate, and distinct lessons. It was specially produced to make the learning of the essential self-defense techniques of Kung Fu and Karate as inexpensive and easy as possible. And you get a uh, complete picture lesson book containing over 135 photos and illustrations. While you are coached by the lesson record, each defensive movement is shown to you step-by-step step by our instructor, Toyotaro Miyazaki, black belt fifth dan from the world-famous Kenkojuko Dojo in Tokyo, Japan. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> um, that, that's pretty lame. And, of course, you have Olympic Sales Club where you can earn fabulous prizes or cash by selling greeting cards door-to-door, -door, uh, which is sure to annoy your family and friends. And we end up with the car-in-a-bottle thing. And I think I've talked about that before in a, in a past episode. Uh, but a snap-tight model kit, which is a drag racer in a pop bottle. And you can get the Pepsi or the 7-Up version of that. Okay, so we're going to be talking about what I thought about the issue, and we're going to be doing that right after this message. 
The Fantastic Arse is your guide to the Fantastic Four from the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics in 1961 onwards. Each week, Steve Lacey and Andy Leyland cover every issue, spin-off, guest appearance and cameo, and more. And in 2015, we begin our journey through the decade that taste forgot, the 1970s. Join us as we take a look at... The departure of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. The Kree Skrull War. The arrival of Marvel Team-Up. Bill Murray as the Human Torch. Creators including Roy Thomas, George Perez, Marv Wolfman, Jerry Conway, Rich Buckler and John Byrne. And of course, Marvel 2-in-1. All this and more at ffcast.libsyn.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. The Fantastic Cast. Insert catchy tagline here. Wait, what? And we're back. So, of course, I have a few things to say about the issue. Well, as you may have noticed, there's quite a lot in this issue that defies credulity, you might say. Um, most of it has to do with the the basic plot itself. I mean, you have this, this nuclear war that happened, you know, two weeks before, you know, the beginning of this issue. So we have... You know, there's some really improbable things happening here. We have the kid survives a nuclear blast basically at point blank range. His brother gets disintegrated. And meanwhile, through the open door, Kevin and his dog are just fine. We have the, the, the unbelievable character of Kevin, despite the fact that he's blind, can still be super accurate with a slingshot, which is hard even for a person who can see can sail a boat across the, the Aegean. And, of course, now, now, of course, he did get stuck on rocks. So I guess, you know, maybe the dog helps him. I, I don't know. <laughs> can the dog sail the boat? I don't know. But, um, yeah, uh, despite of all this going on, he manages to uh, fight off monsters and somehow knows that they're octopus, despite the fact that he can't see them. And, of course, it would kind of be hard to avoid being attacked by them if you're not expecting this monkey-headed octopus thing uh, from attacking you. So, yeah, there's a lot going on in this book that's that's rather silly. And I, to be honest, I really didn't expect much less. It is a DC fantasy comic from the 1970s. But I will say, it's not entirely bad. Well, first of all, I, I think the art is pretty good. It is Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, but it is not how you're used to seeing him. Like I said, I think he mainly did the layouts and Wally Wood did the finishes. Wally Wood, say what you like about him, was a master draftsman. He was a great artist. And I have no trouble believing that, that Wally Wood did the finishes on this. The whole issue looks really good. The artwork by, you know, really in general is really quite, quite amazing. Um he does manage to keep the perspective of Hercules and Kevin Wright, which is one of those things that's really hard to do. Um, and all throughout, you know, the characters are very consistent. Uh, we do have some kind of dumb things like the design of Ares's helmet, which is not like any Greek helmet or really any kind of helmet I've ever seen. It looks more like a, uh, you know, more like the stereotypical Viking helmet than anything else. Except with instead of giant horns, it has these like giant hairbrushes coming off of it. Um, and we've got the the uh, Magenta Hulk, which uh, they did way before Marvel did. <laughs> um, and they have um, basically these people just kind of going around two weeks after a nuclear war uh, and being perfectly okay, no fallout, no radiation poisoning. It's just it seems very unlikely. A, it seems very unlikely that Kevin would have survived the blast that took place right there. Um, and then all these other scavenger people, you know, the, the zombie people who just, you know, the nuclear war just made them that. They really haven't explained the, you know, things like the stake in the middle of the road and all that either. But again, like I said, it's a, it's a DC comic from the mid-70s and it's a B-list kind of comic at that so who knows so like i said i like the art story's kind of dumb maybe it'll get better maybe it won't well keep in mind that this comic only lasted for 12 issues and maybe you can figure it out 
<laughs> All right. So with that, it is time to uh, wrap up the show for this week. We'll be covering a couple more issues of this at least and uh, at least getting our feet wet in it before we move on to something else. All right. And with that, it's time to wrap up the show. Once again, folks, thanks very much for listening. We really do appreciate it. And of course, if you want to uh, converse with us, you can send us email. You can send it to radiofreeasgard at gmail.com. You can also find us over on Facebook where we have things posted from time to time and join the conversation over there. And with that, I am back across the Adriatic in my little sailing boat in the middle of a, a nuclear war to get stuck on the rocks and, and free a guy wearing a really short skirt because that sounds like a great time to me. And uh, thank you very much, and we'll see you next time here on Radio Free Asgard. You have been listening to Radio Free Asgard, a production of Tom Harris USA Productions, which is totally responsible for its content. The Mighty Thor and all associated characters are mostly copyright Marvel Comics. The stories presented are done so for educational, review, and entertainment purposes only. No ownership is implied. The silly voices, however, well, they're all me. Musical selections from Eden, the Invincible Sword of the Elfsmith, are copyright Mott's Vent and are used with permission. If you like what you've heard on the show, we hope you'll leave us a review on iTunes, tell your friends, or even join our Facebook group. We really love hearing from our listeners, and we appreciate all of your support. Thanks once again very much for listening to Radio Free Asgard.